0: miss something from the todd feinberg show listen to the podcast on wtic.com slash podcast
1: oh yeah how nice is this jerry from nagatuck is calling to make me feel good about myself hello jerome Hey Gerald, we, we we
2: miss you, man. Reese was okay, but you you're the greatest. You were you and Anthony.
1: You are hey, very. Uh, I, I fear you are uh, delirious with your delight with our show.
2: <laughs> no, hey, when I was a kid, I used to watch drag racing on the highways. Mm-hmm. You know that, but that was with police enforcement. You know, nobody was around, and they did it quickly. Now we go to today. How do you know uh, the top uh, 20, 25 cities that that defund police, the same chaos in those cities, I think, would go right to the uh, highway if you don't enforce the highways? And the reason I say that, how do you know that they're not going to shut down the highway and rob you? How do you know they're not going to do a drive-by shooting while 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 you're fixing a tire? You know... Jerry, we, it's a
1: really interesting point you're bringing up because none of those things have happened during this period of time, and I find that a little curious. So it's true that violence in cities has gone up dramatically, but that's already where the anarchy was. And I wonder why there hasn't been an explosion of that kind of activity on the highway.
2: Hey, give it time. These criminals, I'm sure they listen to the radio, too. You know, it,
1: oh, So you called up to give them ideas?
2: <laughs> no, not at all. But I'll tell you, I back the blue, you know, thank God, you know, you can, you can get a, a flat tire and a state trooper arrives, he he, he he watches out for you, he calls for help. I've seen him sometimes change a tire on some people.
1: Really? You know? Wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah,
2: they're, they're, they're good people, you know, and I can understand their frustration. You know, the politicians turn their backs on them, and, and when they need them, and then they, they you know, during the election, they, they go and uh, get, try to get their support.
1: Yeah, but so, you, uh, you know, some people listen to me and think I'm anti-cop, and I'm not. I'm pro-cop, I think. In my mind, I'm pro-cop, and what I'm saying is cops shouldn't have to live in a world in which corrupt politicians create these distorted situations where they feel compelled not to do their jobs. But we we deserve, as taxpayers, since we pay for police, we should be able to get police.
2: Right. You know, years ago, they, tr- they tried to propose Mexican truck drivers to use our highways to transport goods from Mexico up here. Mm-hmm. A lot of the, 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 the trucks were faulty. The men weren't trained to drive appropriately. So some were even uh, drunk driving records. You know, there's got to be standards, and the police, at least in this state, has standards and, and, and across much of the country. We need police enforcement of the roads. That's the bottom line.
1: All right. Jerry says more cops, better cops, stronger cops is a good thing. What are your thoughts 8605229842
0: It's the Todd Feinberg show live from the NJ Diet Studios on WTIC News Talk 1080
1: How delightful to be back. You need a vacation once in a while. I like to work like crazy, but then you get weighted down and you need the weight lifted off you. You need to lighten up your heart. And I feel lightened. I do. I feel lightened up. And to celebrate the moment, just like that, Michael Leibowitz is calling in. Lebo, our favorite prisoner who speaks of liberty hello there mike hello todd i'm listening to your discussion i'm finding it rather interesting well that's very nice of you to say
3: (laughs) well it actually kind of reminds me of what i wanted to talk to you about it seems that like i'm with you I i would rather have less enforcement of traffic laws and all laws well, pretty much. I mean, laws against murder, of course, should be enforced. But I think it comes down to a lot of it is people who are risk averse and people who are willing to take risks. And I think to be a liberty-loving person, you kind of have to embrace risk because with freedom comes risk. I mean, there's no guarantees in life. There's If nobody's going to bail you out of your legal troubles or your debts or pay your health care for you, that's scary for some people. But to me, that's far preferable to having the government do everything for us.
1: Yeah, people, I I think, don't understand what government actually is up to. And if they did, if they had any sense of what government is up to, they would not approve of it as readily as they do. Because I hear people justify government. They say, oh, well, somebody has to do it. And, oh, we need it. We need government. But they're not thinking about how much devastating theft of, of resources there's been from all of our labors and they've left us flat-up broken worse deep in debt and and we've been operating the uh, the most successful economy in the history of mankind
3: it well, and that's despite government's best efforts to destroy it True. I mean, with the modicum of freedom that we've had left we've still been able to build this you know I was thinking and I, I mentioned this to you uh, that I used to be very interested in politics, watching political shows and everything. Mm-hmm. And at this point, I, I, I just find them boring and tedious. Now, I still love political philosophy and political issues as much as I ever did, but it just seems like none of that is in the news. I mean, you have debates over whether to spend five trillion or two trillion. The debt's—I think it's thirty trillion—and nobody is really discussing the philosophical basis of our political beliefs. A reporter once gave me advice on writing, Todd, and he told me that Mm -hmm. there's timely pieces and timeless pieces. And he said a timely piece is something that's pressing. It needs to be written now, whereas a timeless piece, it may be important but can be written at any time. And while I think there's validity to that, I think also what ends up happening is we put too much focus on trees and don't pay enough attention to the forest because we're always worried about the current crisis or the current event and we don't actually backtrack to what type of political philosophy and moral philosophy would set us
1: on the right track to fix those times it's so, it's so true what you're saying, and we are so at the other end of the spectrum now. Where every, you know how every story in the news starts off with one of those swishing uh, plaques racing across the screen with a sound effect saying uh, breaking news or... It, it, <laughs> it, it has to have a billboard of great import. Or people aren't willing to listen to it It has to be happening right now it has to be shocking it has to be something we've never heard before
3: yeah and I think that's a big problem and another problem and I'm kind of sensing this as I'm listening to your callers and by the way I think this applies to people of all viewpoints not just the people that call your show but people seem to get locked into a defend my guy position So, like, you have a caller just now, the the nicest guy in the world, uh, from what I understand. From from Naugatuck. Yeah, but, you know, and he says, well, I defend the guys in blue. Whereas, you know, you have the people on the left that seem to, the cops are wrong no matter what. But it seems to me that it's neither. It's neither the cops are always right nor the cops are always wrong. I think the proper philosophical viewpoint is yes, we need police and we need law and order to have a free society. But we also have to understand that these are human beings, and when you give human beings power, especially when they're backed by a union, there's a tendency to abuse that power. It doesn't mean all of them do that, of course, but to say none of them would do it is, to me, is just naive.
1: Yeah, I don't even think that end of the conversation. Although I agree with what you said, but I don't think the I don't think it's an issue of whether the cops are good or not. It's it's an issue of the system. And if if you've got a system that makes the rules for cops that is corrupt and is not fairly administering those rules and is creating the special interest groups to whom it can sell off power to, and then not do its job of supervising what the cops do, which is what the what the our elected officials do with the the special interest groups known as unions they they use it as a way of perpetuating their power not administering to the job that we've given them to do and they then they run around lying about it talking about how wonderful it is if and you're not a uh, you know you're somehow not American if you don't believe in the rigged system they've created so so I That's what we have to look at. That's why I clarified for Jerry that I I view myself as a supporter of cops because I don't go along with the idea that cops should have to work in corrupt organizations that require them to lie under oath and stuff like that.
3: You're right. And it reminds me of the guy, too, earlier that you and Tom Shattuck were talking to who talked about how wonderful the schools are. And the schools, to me, are very similar to the police. Sure. It's a corrupt System. It doesn't mean that teachers are bad people. Right. But when you put people in a bad system, it makes it very difficult. You know, when I complain about the correctional system and about how it fails to rehabilitate people, somebody recently said to me, yeah, but you have to just worry about you and fix yourself and not worry about everything else. And I said, well, of course that's true. It's my responsibility to fix myself. But I don't need a program to do that. I don't need a correctional system to do that. If you're going to have a system that claims to do something, then it ought to do what it's claiming to do. And or at least a part of it. should make an yeah, effort. I mean, he, he, I mean, when you put these impediments in place, the incentives, I mean, rather, that create corruption, you have to remove those incentives. Otherwise, you're going to keep getting what you're getting. Lebo, Lebo, thank you, sir. Thank you, sir, and I hope you have a splendid day. And you are the man, Todd. Reese was all right, but you are fantastic.
1: (laughs) Well, thank you very much. I paid Michael to say that, and I appreciate him doing it. Eight six zero five two two nine eight four two. That's Michael Leibowitz. He is a prisoner for 25 years in the – has been for 25 years in the state system. And he's a regular here on the program. And I like having the prisoners on. By the way, do you notice the sound quality isn't quite as good? From Leibowitz right now. And it's because they no longer are using the telephones. They have gotten tablets issued by the prison system. And he's got a headset. And he sits there in his cell and does it over the Wi-Fi now. What do you think about that? I don't know what the... I haven't been able to find out what the finances of it is. Do you know? But what I really want to know is, does it anger you? Does it anger you that prisoners instead of having to go out and use the phone in the hallway and have limited calls does that anger you that now they get to do it on their tablet sitting in their cell they don't have to go out and use the phone and I haven't given you the biggest singer all the calls are free now that's right they don't get charged for their calls anymore how do you feel about this 860 860- five two two nine eight four two that was Libo it's making a free call sitting in his cell using a tablet given him by you both the call and the tablet and if LiboO were still here he would tell you that he thinks it's wrong for taxpayers to have to foot the bill for them to make free phone calls but that's how it works now does that anger you that's the question. Eight six zero Let's get some more rants in.
3: Hey, Todd. I'm getting the feeling that we need to vote for a new president now.
4: Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Todd. Just wanted to leave a quick rant about one of the top news stories lately, the airlines canceling flights. People got to remember two things. Two things. Number one. The government basically shut everything down for the election infection, Mm -hmm. causing the airlines to offer early retirements and get rid of people. And number two, several years ago, our favorite senator, Senator Blumenthal, Democrat Connecticut, pushed (laughs) through the Passenger Bill of Rights.
1: Yeah, he did.
4: That caused airlines massive fines... And all their financial burdens. If flights were delayed for over a certain amount of time, uh-huh. or planes got stuck on the tarmac with people on them for over a certain amount of time, uh-huh. which started all this, making the airlines look at a situation and look like there's going to be cancellation or delay over a certain amount of time, they just cancel it, yeah, with no financial burdens. So once again, the Democrats got us under the guise of helping us. In the end,
2: they screwed us.
1: Thanks. Well. They always do it because they love us.
2: Hey, Todd, this is uh, Jerry from Norfolk. Again, I'm, I'm Jerry, putting you and Anthony in for a race. Yeah, now, uh, no sports talk or guest host or whatever fill-in can top the one-two punch of you guys.
1: How come you always uh, put us together? Like, like uh, the the kid who's just coming up in the farm system is is uh, is like the old pro here, looking for another twenty-game season.
2: Your show, you, taught us. Is- Especially well, thank the you also the state and nation
1: okay, sorry,
2: and uh when you're out, you know it's rather boring it's just so just be there for as much as you can cool. <laughs> that's all I want to say because when you guys are out it's no comparison all right, thanks a lot for everything uh, you care, know bye-bye. if you
1: don't give the the uh newcomers the chance to to develop their stick like I've been doing this for twenty five years on and off most of the time, and um you know, after a while, you get the hang of it, and then you lose the hang of it and you need a break and and then you come back and you have the hang of it again and in the meantime, you've got to let new people develop because th- there's highly skilled people who just have to get enough practice to have it emerge eight six zero five two two nine eight four two the rant line number seven five one forty six ninety eight George calling from Vernon hey George
3: hey how are you what's up? And that's to much hey I'm hearing you about complaining about uh the state of Connecticut, uh the liberal uh pay or actually uh
1: I wasn't complaining, I was pointing it out and asking how you feel about it. Let me
3: finish what you're saying is that uh the state of Connecticut is paying for him? Yes I have an idea. Don't take any phone calls from him.
1: Well I like taking and his phone calls. Why? So don't complain about the thing. I wasn't complaining. George, I, you don't want to listen to me when I clarify your premise, but you started off with a false premise that I was complaining. I was asking how you feel about it. Do you have an uh, opinion? You're going to tell us? No, yes, I'm
3: sorry. No, you had mentioned that how everybody feels about it. and obviously,
1: No, I don't know how everybody kind of feels everybody feel. about it. Yeah. I was asking, how do you feel about it, George? All right, George doesn't do listening very well. He forms opinions at the word the and then ignores the rest of the statements and then wants to make up his own meaning for what was said. Lordy. Let's try Doug in East Hartford. Hi, Doug. Hi. Hey, how are you? What's up? Uh, I'm a first time caller, so just bear with me. Well, that's um, awesome. <laughs> okay what took um, you so long what have you been doing I'm a retired corrections officer as a matter of fact oh that's great um, and Good.
5: I, I'm calling just to shed a little bit of light in regards to the tablet program and okay. the um. good the thank you first of all the tablet program is a sponsored program from a company that actually uh, places the tablets into the facilities uh, at their charge so it doesn't cost the uh, Department of Corrections any money, as far as that's concerned. And
1: how do they make their money? Do they charge fees to the uh, prisoners for services yeah, well, they get?
5: Well, well, what they do is that they, um, on the tablets, you can purchase um, songs, um, uh, movies that are, uh, vetted, okay, um, got it, and um, and um, like uh, like video games. Um, the one thing that I'd like to say is that. Um, In a correctional facility, in a uh, unit, there's usually approximately anywhere between uh, 100 and 120 inmates in one uh, unit, and there's only three phones. So what ends up happening is that when the inmates are uh, released for their recreation time, they all fight for those phones. And I use the word fight um, loosely because you have three phones for Usually half of the block is out at one time, yep. and they're all... Which would be to- how
1: many people, half the block?
5: Yeah, it's half the block. Usually huh? uh, there's an upstairs and a downstairs. Yep, to a, but how uh, many
1: people uh, are we talking about?
5: Uh, you're talking probably between, I'd say, 35 to 45 uh, inmates are out at one time. Okay,
1: so you're um, saying this makes a safer prison. So even saw- if it did cost money, it would be worth it, but you're saying it doesn't cost money.
5: Well, the tablet program does not cost money. Now, the free phone calls that you were talking about does cost the state. Um, that is, uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, uh, it's uh, a value of about $1.3 million per year. Do not quote me on that, but I believe okay. that's about the, the amount. Um, but the commissary program um, that the inmates uh, purchase their mm-hmm. cosmetics and their food through is uh, supposed to... for that
1: but that um, that already existed so if you're yes. starting to take money you didn't used to take uh, then well, you're exactly. it's still a cost
5: exactly the commissary program has been in existence for much longer than I was there but um,
1: right.
5: yeah but the money that uh, supposedly is going for the free phone calls and uh, another thing is I'm uh, I was a correction officer in regards to uh, it's not my job to punish. It's the court system's job yep. to punish an inmate for their transgressions. against Well, that's us.
1: the right way to look at it.
5: Yes, and so my job isn't there to punish an inmate uh, and to make them miserable.
1: That's what the court is for, and that's what the prison is for. Sorry I've got to hold you there, Doug, but you are a great first-time caller. Please call back again and uh, join in the conversation again. That's awesome. Eight six zero five two two nine eight four two
0: something from the Todd Feinberg Show. Listen to the podcast on WTIC.com slash podcast.
1: I was listening to uh, Chris Murphy in the middle of the night on a podcast last night talking with David Axelrod, who's the guy who got uh, Barack Obama elected president. And listen to Murphy. Characterize the Supreme Court over the last this session and the, the the decisions that were announced at the end of the month. I want to see if this is uh, this matches up with your perception of what happened. A lot of young people, in particular, who mm-hmm. are probably going to sit home um, prior to this series of decisions, who are
2: now all of a sudden going to mobilize and turn out. So. Yeah, listen, I think the odds are still probably against us, but
1: all of a sudden, I think this is a much... I'm sorry, it wasn't right where I thought it was, but this is him talking about the politics of it. He thinks that the by this outrageous series of decisions on the part of the conservative court, that it's going to be a different election than it would have been, which is what the Democrats are hoping for, but that's what he's saying is happening. Um, Closer election, an election that is likely going to look different than other midterms because... Of this exceptional series of decisions, exceptional series of decisions, delegate rulemaking um, on environmental issues to agencies, but they did it all at once in the hubris of this court. Right? This, is the, this is the part I wanted, where he's talking about the hubris of the court and the hubris of this hubris. court. Hubris. He can't believe the hubris of the court. Now, my view of the hubris of the court is that actually, that it was the the liberals who spent fifty years trying to turn us into a society other than what we were made to be and now that conservatives have regained power they are trying to switch it back quickly and I grant you it's sudden but it's in response to a long slow march to socialism. And the hubris of this court, right, this this very clear signal that they're sending that they're in charge now. Congress is in charge, the president is in charge, the Supreme Court is in charge. I'm telling you people are hearing this People are, you hope they're hearing it, and you are making as much noise as possible to misrepresent what's going on. This is what gets me. People are hearing this, not just from the Dobbs decision, but from this panoply of opinions. Panoply. And it is frightening, folks. Frightening. You know,
2: midterm elections are generally about turnout.
1: So he's saying that people are so appalled by the fact that the conservatives are reclaiming America that that will change the nature of the election coming up in the fall, and it may do so, but it's because of the Democrats misrepresenting what's going on and making it seem wrong to have the Constitution and the Supreme Court staying out of things for which it has not the authority to enter.
0: Todd Feinberg Show, live from the NJ Diet Studios on WTIC, News Talk 1080.
1: Oh, I feel like I had a year and a half off, and I'm just floating around the studio. And here to float with me is Chris Powell from the Journal Inquirer. Hello, Chris. Hey,
6: Todd. Uh, great to hear your voice again.
1: Are you feeling lighter of heart now that the summer is here and there's the beautiful sunshine to infuse you with energy and and uh... passion
6: well it is a very nice time to be in connecticut as long as you're not uh... you know reading the papers or listening to the
1: <laughs> <laughs> all right so what what is uh... what is taking your focus away from the sunshine because you don't sound as lighthearted as i do i guess you haven't had a vacation right now
6: uh... well <laughs> I mean it has been legal to leave the state I didn't get the message but uh no I mean I'm I'm very happy to be in uh, in Connecticut um, most of the year I think we take it uh, for granted I mean you've got uh you know your your drought in the in, in the west and the south and the heat waves and uh, you know the climate disasters everywhere and uh, uh Connecticut's a pretty nice place to be right now, so I think it's worth uh, fighting for, which uh, you do, uh, and uh, let's keep doing that.
1: All right. so what's on your fight palette this week?
6: Oh, I I wrote a column today about uh, some more silly posturing in state government. We got a new law that uh, says that the the governors in the future will have to attach to every budget they propose a statement uh, explaining how they're their their budget is is going to uh, address uh, racial and economic inequities isn't and, that
1: uh, you talk about virtue signaling and fake poses doesn't that one take the cake
6: yeah it, it's pretty extreme i mean in the first place well haven't they been you know thinking about this all the time i mean we need a special statement to uh, have them you know tell us how they're thinking about uh, addressing racial and Economic uh, inequity. Well, the
1: suggestion is that somehow Governor Lamont is so good at underserving the underserved communities that he has to make sure that future governors are held to his standard.
6: Well, uh, you know, the statement that the government, the new governors, can attach to uh, the 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 budget, they can be. You know, profound and insightful, or they could be, you know, meaningless crap. And, uh, you know, so, so what? You know, what do you, what do you get either way? If he, if the, if the governor's uh, gonna be insightful, he can, he can be insightful with his, with his, with his, with his public budget proposals. If he's, if he's not, we can, we go on it before. But, uh, you know, my real objection here is that the, the, this law is really, uh, intended just to, you know, give a little more force to all the, Clamor we get at the Capitol every week about we need more spending for this and need more spending for for that, and uh, you know some of us have been around long enough to uh, to to realize that you know racial and economic inequity is uh, uh, been, been been enduring for a pretty long time. Uh, you know, probably the first conference I went to as a as a newspaper reporter was about 50 years ago in West Hartford, and it was it was talking about the concentration of poverty in the cities and what could be done about it. Well, you know, here we are 50 years later and nothing has changed. I mean, except maybe we've had a few more conferences. Uh, I think if, if you were really concerned about addressing you know racial and economic inequities in in connecticut i think the first thing you'd have to do is examine the policies we have that they're supposed to bear on on racial and economic inequities that, that mm-hmm. don't work and i think particularly of first uh, social promotion in the schools uh... which you know tells the kids especially the minority kids who uh... you know are, are disadvantaged to begin with that it 's you know okay not to you know pay attention to your studies it's it 's okay to goof off because we are going to graduate you from grade to grade regardless of your academic performance and then we 're going to give you a high school diploma regardless of your academic uh, performance and I think we would have to uh, audit our uh, our welfare system you know you probably uh, about a third of the the children in this country are growing up in a home without a father. And when you get into the cities, where most of the minority kids live, the the percentage is you know closer to to ninety ninety percent. Now, shouldn't we be asking uh, what, what is causing this horrible phenomenon that's taking fathers away from kids? Is it something in the air, in the in the water? Does it have something to do with the uh, the welfare system? Uh, is the welfare system uh, really setting things up financially to relieve men of the obligation to support uh, their kids and the, the the mothers of their their kids? We don't. Ask about uh, well. About let's try to these policies.
1: let's try to connect the two things we we're talking to Chris Powell from the Journal Enquirer. So, so you mentioned the um, the idea that the schools do social promotion. That is, it's better to give a diploma to a kid in lieu of education than to make him confront the fact that he hasn't gotten an education so he can catch up and i it seems like those two things are linked what is the constituency do you think for the idea of giving meaningless diplomas being superior to the idea of making sure that the diploma represents a certain level of achievement
6: well our educators in our political class of course they they don't want to confront uh the uh, the problem they don't want to tell people that look it's the most antisocial thing you can do in life is to have kids outside marriage uh, the, the system does not want to to tell people uh what the social science finds and the social science finds that fatherlessness uh correlates overwhelmingly uh with educational failure with physical and mental health problems uh with uh, crime uh with unhappiness in life generally uh but you know do you do you expect that the politicians especially in the cities where Most of the kids are fatherless. Do you think they have the the nerve to to tell their own constituents that, boy, you guys are really screwed up here. Uh, You've handicapped your kids and we shouldn't do it. Do they they want to tell the government employees this, that are running the welfare system, that, uh, hey, you know, you're making a career of depriving kids of their fathers?
1: Yeah, I'm with you on that side of it, Chris, but I'm, I'm thinking about the education side, and wouldn't it be wonderful for the Democrats who control education and control the cities and claim to love the people who they're depriving of of the services of of a good school system, why wouldn't they feel thrilled to be working for a school system that required that kids learn something rather than to compel their system to give out diplomas for non-learning. How does that further their goals? Is it just to pander to teachers is, or to teachers unions? Is that what you think? Because I would think the teachers would like it better, too.
6: Well, look, the teachers are not uh, the villains here. Uh, teachers play the hands that are dealt. I mean, education right. success is 95% a matter of parenting. Uh, you know, many of our teachers in the cities today—they—they they can't get a parent on the phone if a kid is uh, is having problems, or if he's if he's messing up, they can't find the parent. The parent is not engaged, or the parent's on drugs, or uh, you know, the the, the parent is abdicated to the grandparents. Uh, I mean, we we have in Connecticut and the country generally, we we have social disintegration now on a catastrophic scale and we, you know, we tinker with the laws here and there, and, you know, we're constantly talking about, you know, adjusting the gun laws, and it's, it's it's all irrelevant. We've got a third of the country growing up without parenting and then growing up without an education, and we pay absolutely no attention to this catastrophe.
1: So you think that it's not possible to educate kids under the current social structures they're growing up in?
6: Well, it's possible, but I think you've got to really take them... Take them away from the uh, neglected household that they uh, they live in. I mean, the, you know, the, the 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 human potential here is 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 the same. I mean, we know from you sure. know certain charter schools and in certain private schools and church schools that you know if you pay enough attention to the kids, they, they can not only learn, they can excel and exceed and 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 become heroic in life. Uh, but uh, we can't face up to the system that. Is making the catastrophe. We we just can't tell parents, you know, stop having children outside marriage. Stop having children when you can't support them and pay pay attention to them. And we we can't tell the government bureaucracy that you know this this financial processing that you do, just passing you know money out to people for their antisocial behavior, is just deepening the catastrophe.
1: But it seems to me these two issues are circular; that they feed each other. And if you can sever them, it's really hard to sir to fix the the problem of the broken homes being institutionalized with government support and government payments. But it is separate from that if you could make education great and you seem to be suggesting that you believe it could be made great. And I would propose having things like schools that are boarding schools where kids could be if parents were divided. You know, I, I saw, I, I've seen video interviews and I, I saw uh, Jeffrey Canada, the guy who runs that um, great, education zone in Harlem I forget what it's called and he, he was on 60 minutes and stuff And this guy has people sobbing in despair over the idea that their kids don't get into his programs and I would think that the public school system would love to to offer something like that if there was leadership proposing it where people would be crying over the idea that they were not getting into the public schools instead of crying over trying to get their kids out of the public schools because they want their kids to have success and it, I believe that you could have schools of different stripes that would deal with different kids' problems in ways that would allow them to succeed despite the hardships of coming out of uh, bad homes or troubled homes. And, and I have to think that some large percentage of those homes that you're painting with a broad brush are actually with devoted parents who are, who are dealing with the problems that you're suggesting, but are also providing their kids a, a good the best they can, as a single parent, say. So uh, well, we've
6: taken a few steps in, in in that direction, Todd. I mean, that's that's what the uh, the magnet schools in uh, the Hartford area and other places are are about. But the problem is uh, that uh, uh, there's just you know not enough room for for all the kids who want to get in. Um, and probably the the bigger problem is uh, that uh, when you take uh, kids out of the neighborhood schools were motivated by their, themselves or by their, their, their parents to get into a magnet school. You concentrate poverty even more in the, in, in the, the neighborhood schools. Everybody is trying to get away from the neglected kids and you know that's that's fine for the for the kids you can get away from the neglected kids but it just worsens the environment in the remaining neighborhood schools and uh the sh- school system at Hartford has has complained about this because so many Hartford kids uh go to magnet schools but it just uh, reduces the uh uh the desire for learning in the neighborhood schools we've got to find a way to uh address the the neglected kids uh, we've got too many of them,
1: yeah, but wouldn't a straight market driven system where the money followed the kids to whatever school they went to eventually deplete the bad schools of all kids and and thus all funding, and well, the great that, ones that, that would be sucking them all up
6: that 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 presumes that the parents would care, and a lot of parents uh, don't care, I mean you got a lot of uh, parents who are just overwhelmed uh, you know they 've got three or four kids by five different guys they they 're working at menial jobs, uh, no support from the fathers, and they come home at night and the last thing they want to do is is help their kids with uh, with their well, homework uh,
1: all right Th- Thank you for engaging this i I grant you that there are some like that. I wonder if there are as many as you think, but of course i i don 't know i just am am very hopeful that there are a lot of uh, wonderful single parents struggling to get their kids ahead, and they deserve the assistance of you know,
6: a lot of them have gotten them into magnet schools. but what I do know is we have this mortifying racial education gap in connecticut we've had it for decades mm-hmm. we keep appropriating money for it and it never changes and we never audit it and instead we tell the governor yes. to put in his next budget <laughs> statement about you know economic and racial inequities. thank you I mean, for
1: bringing on. it back around chris Powell. great conversation i appreciate it thanks dad we'll talk to you next week chris Powell from the journal Inquiry, eight six oh five two two nine eight
0: four two